Good evening everyone, and welcome back to David's Book of Bedtime. Tonight, we're diving right back into Alice in Wonderland, so relax, enjoy, without further ado, let's begin. Chapter 2 Pool of Tears Curiouser and curiouser, cried Alice. She was so much surprised that for a moment she quite forgot how to speak good English. Now, I'm opening out like the largest telescope there ever was. Goodbye, feet. For when she looked down at her feet, they seemed to be almost out of sight. They were getting so far off. Oh, my poor little feet. I wonder who will put on your shoes and stockings for you now, dears. I'm sure I shan't be able. I shall be a great deal too far off to trouble myself about you. You must manage the best way you can. But I must be kind to them, thought Alice. Or perhaps they won't walk the way I want them. Let me see. I'll give them a new pair of boots every Christmas. And she went on planning to herself how she would manage it. They must go by the carrier, she thought. And how funny it'll seem, sending presents to one own's feet. And how odd the directions will look. Alice's right foot, Esquire. Heartthrug, near the fender. With Alice's love. Oh dear, what nonsense I'm talking. Just then, her head struck against the roof of the hall. In fact, she was now rather more than nine feet high. And she at once took upon the little golden key and hurried off to the garden door. Poor Alice. It was as much as she could do, lying down on one side, to look into the garden with one eye, but to get through it was more hopeless than ever. She sat down and began to cry. "'You ought to be ashamed of yourself,' said Alice. "'A great girl like you,' she might as well say this, "'to go on crying in this way. Stop this moment, I'll tell you.' But she went on all the same, shedding gallons of tears, until there was a large pool all around her, about four inches deep, and reaching half down the hall. After a time, she heard a little pattering of feet in the distance, and hastily dried her eyes to see what was coming. It was a white rabbit returning, splendidly dressed, with a pair of white kid gloves in one hand and a large fan in the other. He came trotting along in a great hurry, muttering to himself as he came, Oh, the Duchess, the Duchess! Oh, won't she be savage if I've kept her waiting? Alice felt so desperate that she was ready to ask help of anyone. So, when the rabbit came near her, she began in a low, timid voice, if you please, sir. The rabbit started violently, dropping the white kid gloves in the fan, and scurried away into the darkness, as hard as he could go. Alice took up the fan and gloves, and, as the hall was very hot, she kept fanning herself all the time she went on talking. Dear, dear, how queer everything is today. And yesterday, things went on just as usual. I wonder if I've been changed during the night. Let me think. Was I the same when I got up this morning? I almost think I can remember feeling a little different. But if I'm not the same, the next question is, who in the world am I? Ah, that's the great puzzle. And she began thinking of all the children she knew that were of the same age as herself, to see if she could have been changed for any one of them. I'm sure I'm not Ada, she said, for her hair goes in such long ringlets, and mine doesn't go in ringlets at all. And I'm sure I can't be Mabel, for I know all sorts of things, and she, oh, she knows such a very little. 
Besides, she's a she and I'm I, and oh dear, how puzzling it all is. I'll try if I know all the things I used to know. Let me see. Four times five is twelve. Four times six is thirteen. Four times seven is... Oh dear, I shall never get to twenty at that rate. However, the multiplication table doesn't signify. Let's try geography. London is the capital of Paris, and Paris is the capital of Rome, and Rome... Oh no, that's all wrong. I'm certain. I must have been changed for Mabel. I'll try and say, how doth the little... And she crossed her hands on her laps, as if she was saying lessons and began to repeat it. But her voice sounded hoarse and strange, and the words did not come the same as they used to do. How doth the little crocodile improve his shining tail, and pour the waters of the Nile on every golden scale? How cheerfully he seems to grin, how neatly spreads his claws, and welcomes little fishes in with gentle smiling jaws. I'm sure those aren't the right words, said poor Alice, and her eyes filled with tears again, as she went on, I must be Mabel after all, and I shall have to go and live in that pokey little house, and have next to no toys to play with, and oh, ever so many lessons to learn. No, I've made up my mind about it. If I'm Mabel, I'll stay down here. It'll be no use there putting their heads down and saying, Come up again, dear. I shall only look up and say, Who am I then? Tell me first, and then... If I like being that person, I'll come up, and if not, I'll stay down here till I'm someone else. But oh dear, cried Alice, with a sudden burst of tears. I do wish they would put their heads down. I'm so very tired of being all alone here. As she said this, she looked down at her hands and was surprised to see that she had put on one of the rabbit's little white kid gloves when she was talking. How could I have done that, she thought. I must be growing small again. She got up and went to the table to measure herself and found, as nearly as she could, she was now about two feet high, and going on shrinking rapidly. She soon found out that the cause of this was the fan she was holding, and she dropped it hastily, just in time to avoid shrinking away. That was a narrow escape, said Alice, a good deal frightened at the sudden change, but very glad to find herself still in existence. And now for the garden. And she ran with all speed back to the little door, but alas... The little door was shut again, and the little golden key was lying on the glass table as before. And things are worse than ever, thought the poor child. For I never was so small as this before, never, and I declare it's too bad, that it is. As she said these words, her foot slipped, and in another moment, splash, she was up to her chin in salt water. Her first idea was that she had somehow fallen into the sea, and in that case, I can go back by railway, she said to herself. Alice had been to the seaside once in her life, and had come to the general conclusion that wherever you go on the English coast, you can find a number of bathing machines in the sea, some children digging in the sand with wooden spades, then a row of lodging houses, and behind them, a railway station. However, she soon made out that she was in a pool of tears which she had wept when she was nine feet high. I wish I hadn't cried so much, said Alice as she swam about, trying to find her way out. I shall be punished for it now. I suppose, by being drowned in my own tears, that will be a queer thing, to be sure. However, everything is queer today. Just then, she heard something splashing about in the pool, a little way off. She swam nearer to make out what it was. At first, she thought it must be a walrus, or a hippopotamus. But then, she remembered how small she was, and she soon made out that it was only a mouse, 
that had slipped in like herself. Would it be of any use now, thought Alice, to speak to this mouse? Everything is so out of the way down here that I should think very likely it can talk. At any rate, there's no harm in trying. So she began, Oh, mouse, do you know the way out of this pool? I am very tired of swimming about here, oh, mouse. Alice thought that this must be the right way of speaking to a mouse. She had never done such a thing before, but remember having seen in her brother's Latin grammar, a mouse, of a mouse, to a mouse, a mouse, oh mouse. The mouse looked at her rather inquisitively, and seemed to her to wink one of its little eyes, but it said nothing. Perhaps it doesn't understand English, thought Alice. I dare say it's a French mouse, come over with William the Conqueror. For all her knowledge of history, Alice had no very clear notion of how long ago anything had happened. So she began again. Où est ma chat? which was the first sentence in her French lesson book. The mouse gave a sudden leap out of the water and seemed to quiver all over with fright. Oh, I beg your pardon, cried Alice hastily, afraid she had hurt the poor animal's feelings. I quite forgot you didn't like cats. Not like cats, cried the mouse in a shrill, passionate voice. Would you like cats if you were me? Well, perhaps not, said Alice in a soothing voice. Don't be angry about it. And yet, I wish I could show you our cat Dina. I think you'd take a fancy to cats if you could only see her. She is such a dear, quiet little thing. Alice went on, half to herself as she swam lazily about in the pool, and she sits purring so nicely by the fire, licking her paws and washing her feet. And she is such a nice, soft thing to nurse. And she's such a capital one for catching mice. Oh, I beg your pardon, cried Alice, for this time the mouse was bristling all over and she felt certain that it must really be offended. We won't talk about her any more, if you'd rather not. We indeed, cried the mouse, who was trembling down to the end of his tail. As if I would talk on such subject, our family has always hated cats. Nasty, low, vulgar things. Don't let me hear the name again. I won't indeed, said Alice, in a great hurry to change the subject of conversation. Are you fond of dogs? The mouse did not answer, so Alice went on eagerly. There is such a nice little dog near our house, I should like to show you. A little bright-eyed terrier, you know, with, oh, such long curly brown hair. And it'll fetch things when you throw them, and it'll sit up and beg for its dinner, and all sorts of things. I can't remember half of them. And it belongs to a farmer, you know. He says it's so useful, it's worth a hundred pounds. He says it kills all the rats, and oh, oh dear, cried Alice in a sorrowful tone. I'm afraid I've offended it again, for the mouse was swimming away from her as hard as it could go, and making quite a commotion in the pool as it went. And so she called softly after it. Mouse dear, do come back again, and we won't talk about cats or dogs either if you don't like them. When the mouse heard this, it turned round and swam slowly back to her. Its face was quite pale with passion, Alice thought. It said in a low, trembling voice, Let us get to the shore, and then I'll tell you my history, and you'll understand why it is I hate cats and dogs. It was high time to go, for the pool was getting quite crowded with the birds and animals that had fallen in it. There was a duck, and a dodo, a lorry, and an eaglet, and several other curious creatures. Alice led the way, and the whole party swam to the shore. Chapter 3 
a caucus race, and a long tail. They were indeed a queer-looking party that assembled on the bank. The birds with the draggled feathers, the animals with their fur clinging close to them, and all dripping wet, cross, and uncomfortable. The first question, of course, was, how to get dry again? They had a consultation about this, and after a few minutes, it seemed quite natural to Alice to find herself talking familiarly with them, as if she had known them all her life. Indeed, she had quite a long argument with the lorry, who, at last, turned sulky, and would only say, I am older than you, and must know better. And this Alice would not allow without knowing how old it was, and, as the lorry positively refused to tell its age, there was no more to be said. At last, the mouse, who seemed to be a person of authority among them, called out, Sit down, all of you, and listen to me. I'll soon make you dry enough. They all sat down at once in a large ring, with the mouse in the middle. Alice kept her eyes anxiously fixed on it, for she felt she would catch a bad cold if she did not get dry very soon. Ahem, said the mouse, with an important air. Are you all ready? This is the driest thing I know. Silence, all round if you please. William the Conqueror, whose cause was favoured by the Pope, was soon submitted by the English, who wanted leaders, and had been, of late, much accustomed to usurpation and conquest. Edwin and Morker, the Earls of Mercia and Northumbria. Ugh, said the lorry with a shiver. I beg your pardon, said the mouse, frowning. But very politely, did you speak? Not I, said the lorry hastily. I thought you did, said the mouse. I proceed. Edwin and Morker, the Earls of Mercia and Northumbria, declared for him, and even Stigand, the patriotic Archbishop of Canterbury, found it advisable. Found what? Found what? said the duck. Found it, the mouse replied, rather crossly. Of course you know what it means. I know what it means well enough. When I find the thing, said the duck. It's generally a frog or a worm. The question is, what did the Archbishop find? The mouse did not notice this question, but hurriedly went on. Found it advisable to go on with Edgar Athingley to meet William and offer him the crown. William's conduct at first was moderate, but insolence of his Normans. How are you getting on now, my dear? It continued, turning to Alice as it spoke. As wet as ever, said Alice in a melancholy tone. It doesn't seem to dry me at all. In that case, said the dodo, solemnly rising to its feet, I move that the meeting adjourn for the immediate adoption of more energetic remedies. Speak English, said the eaglet. I don't know what the meaning of half those long words. And what's more, I don't believe you do either. And the eaglet bent down its head to hide a smile. Some of the other birds tittered audibly. What I was going to say, said the dodo, in an offended tone, was that the best thing to get us dry would be a caucus race. What is a caucus race, said Alice. Not that she much wanted to know, but the dodo had paused as if it thought somebody ought to speak, and no one else seemed inclined to say anything. Why, the dodo said, the best way to explain it is to do it. And as you might like to try the thing yourself some winter day, I will tell you how the dodo managed it. First, it marked out a race course in a sort of circle. The exact shape doesn't matter, it said. And then all the party were placed along the course, here and there. There was no one, two, three and away, but they began running when they liked, and left off when they liked, so it was not easy to know when the race was over. However, when they had been running half an hour or so, they were quite dry again, 
and the dodo suddenly called, The race is over! And they all crowded round it, panting and asking, But who has won? This question the dodo could not answer without a great deal of thought, and it stood for a long time with one finger pressed upon its forehead, the position in which you usually see Shakespeare in the pictures of him, while everyone waited in silence. At last the dodo said, Everybody has won, and all must have prizes. But who is to give the prizes? Quite a chorus of voices asked. Why, she, of course, said the dodo, pointing to Alice with one finger. And the whole party at once crowded round her, calling out in a confused way, Prizes! Prizes! Alice had no idea what to do, and in despair she put her hands in her pockets and pulled out a box of comfits. Luckily, the salt water had not gotten into it, and handed them round as prizes. There was exactly one apiece all round. But she must have a prize herself, you know, said the mouse. Of course, the dodo replied very gravely. What else have you got in your pockets? It went on, turning to Alice. Only a thimble, said Alice sadly. Hand it over here, said the dodo. Then they all crowded round her once more, while the dodo solemnly presented the thimble, saying, We beg your acceptance of this elegant thimble. And, when it had finished this short speech, they all cheered. Alice thought the whole thing very absurd, but they all looked so grave, so she did not dare to laugh, and she could not think of anything to say. She simply bowed and took the thimble, looking as solemn as she could. The next thing to eat was the confis. This caused some noise and confusion, as the large birds complained that they could not taste theirs, and the small ones choked and had to be patted on the back. However, it was over at last, and they sat down again in a ring, and begged the mouse to tell them something more. You promised to tell me your history, you know, said Alice, and why is it you hate C and D, she added in a whisper, half afraid that it would be offended again. Mine is a long and sad tale, said the mouse, turning to Alice and sighing. It is a long tale, certainly, said Alice, looking down with wonder at the mouse's tail. But why do you call it sad? And she kept on puzzling about it while the mouse was speaking, so that her idea of the tale was something like this. Fury said to a mouse that he met in the house, Let us both go to law. I will prosecute you. Come, take no denial. We must have the trial, for really this morning I have nothing to do, said the mouse to the cur, such a trial, dear sir, with no judge or jury, would be wasting our breath. I'll be the judge, I'll be the jury, and said cunning old fury, I'll try the whole cause, and condemn you to death. You are not attending, said the mouse to Alice severely. What are you thinking of? I beg your pardon, said Alice very humbly. You had got to the fifth bend, I think. I had not, cried the mouse angrily. A not, said Alice, always ready to make herself useful, and looking anxiously around her. Oh, do let me help undo it. I shall do nothing of the sort, said the mouse, getting up and walking away. You insult me by talking such nonsense. I didn't mean it, pleaded poor Alice. But you're so easily offended, you know. The mouse only growled in reply. Please, come back and finish your story, Alice called after it and the others joined in in chorus. Yes, please do. But the mouse only shook its head impatiently and walked a little quicker. What a pity it wouldn't stay, sighed the lorry, as soon it was quite out of sight, and an old crab took the opportunity of saying to her daughter, Ah, my dear, let this be a lesson to you never to lose your temper. Hold your tongue, ma, said the young crab, a little snappishly. You're enough to try the patience of an oyster. 
I wish I had Ardina here. I know I do, said Alice aloud, addressing nobody in particular. She'd soon fetch it back. And who is Dina, if I may venture to ask the question, said the lorry. Alice replied eagerly, for she was all ready to talk about her pet. Dina's our cat, and she's such a capital one for catching mice. You can't think, and oh, I wish you could see her after the birds. Why, she'll eat a little bird as soon as she looks at it. This speech caught a remarkable sensation among the party. Some of the birds hurried off at once. One old magpie began wrapping itself up very carefully, remarking, I must be getting home. The night air doesn't suit my throat. And a canary called out in a trembling voice to children. And a canary called out in a trembling voice to its children, Come away, my dears. It's high time you were all in bed. On various pretexts, they all moved off, and Alice was soon left alone. I wish I hadn't mentioned Dina, she said to herself in a melancholy tone. Nobody seems to like her down here. I'm sure she's the best cat in the world. Oh, my dear Dina, I wonder if I shall ever see you again any more. And here poor Alice began to cry again, for she felt very lonely and low-spirited. In a little while, however, she heard a little pattering of footsteps in the distance, and she looked up eagerly, half hoping the mouse had changed its mind and was coming back to finish his story. There we go. That was chapters two and three of Alice in Wonderland. Thank you all for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, consider sharing it with a friend. But for now, have a wonderful evening, get some very well-deserved rest, and see you tomorrow for the continuation of our story.